1: Jesus is doing something in this story that he has not done in the other miracles. He is uh, essentially killing a tree for something that is not the tree's fault. The tree didn't want to be barren. The tree didn't want to be empty. The tree didn't want to not give fruit. Uh, But Jesus gets upset uh, at the tree. And I think what makes this miracle so different than the other miracles is that in the other two, do you remember the other two that we talked about, Lazarus and that other guy, remember his name? Bart, that's right, Bart. Uh, Lazarus and Bartimaeus, uh, in those two instances, Jesus does something good. He does something positive. He, does, he gives and he helps in those two instances. But in this instance, we see Jesus do something that we're not accustomed to seeing Jesus to do. And it's incompatible with our understanding of who God is. I mean, Jesus is a giver, Amen. Giving is what he does, and and so if he is a giver, why am I seeing him do this in this passage? I know that when I read it, and uh, how many people know that there are some passages in the scriptures that when we read, uh, we might not understand them completely, so we just read real fast, because if we stand too long, it just messes with us, like, theologically, which I'm not even going to ask questions about that. Um, And this is one of those passages in the Bible that I just kind of read over quickly, because I'm like, the Jesus I know gives life. The Jesus I know is a giver. And I think when I when I when I settled on this passage to figure out why I was having trouble, it's because this is the first time I see Jesus in the Bible do something I'm not used to him doing. He is for the first time taking. And that rubs me the wrong way, I'm just being honest, because I don't see God or Jesus as a taker. Taking in our mind is not god's job right taking is the other guy's job right the bad guy taking is supposed to be the devil's job and giving is supposed to be god's job and and i and i want to for a moment just challenge that perception of how we see god because here's here's what i know i don't i don't know that it's giving that makes god god and taking that makes The devil, the devil, because sometimes giving can be the worst thing that happens to you. Uh, If if giving was so great, then everybody who won the lotto would be happy. But just look up some of the lotto winners who have won in the past, and you'll find stories of people who have committed suicide, people who have lost their family, people who died from drug overdose. Sometimes the devil gives. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, somebody who thought that they had found the one, but then the one actually ended up to not be the one. But you were so certain at the moment they were a gift from God. Turned out not to be the gift from God you thought they were supposed to be, right? I'll say it again. Sometimes the devil gives. Giving and taking is not what separates God from the devil. What separates God from the devil is is intent. In other words, God is not always the giver and the devil is not always the taker. Sometimes God is the taker and the devil is the giver. But God's intention is always to help. But the devil's intention is always to harm. John 10.10 said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the devil does, and that's what makes him the devil. But God in Romans 8.28 says, All things work for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. And so that's what separates God from the devil. It's not that one gives and one takes. And so if giving can be bad... Logically, that means that taking can sometimes be good, which is really what I want to share with you today. There's a two-pronged premise to the message that I have through you, and it's simple. Sometimes God takes, and sometimes the miracle is in the taking. I'm talking to anybody who's ever experienced Some type of loss, maybe in their life, and you feel like God has taken something from you and you are ready to go to bat with God because that is not something God should do. I want to challenge that. Sometimes God's the one that takes, and sometimes the miracle is in the taking. Or summarized better into the title of today's message, which is this When a miracle is what it takes. When a miracle is what it takes. You know, uh, about three days ago, I was playing baseball with my kids in the uh, patio. I can play baseball with them in the patio because they are not good at baseball. And so I have no fear of the ball hitting anything or going far. And I'm trying to teach them. I was not, you know, in the minor leagues or anything like that. I did play a little bit of Little League. I know a little bit about a stance. And so I'm trying to teach my kids how to play baseball. And it's so funny. I have zero patience when it comes to little children. I just, it's not called to be a children's pastor or anything like that. I give props to Karina who does what she does, our children's director, because I couldn't do it. Um, I tried to tell my son how to, yeah, she's great. I tried to teach my son. I was like, you step into the pitch. You step into the pitch. And after 15 minutes, this is, he just, he just stood like this when the ball came. Just stood like that when the, he didn't get it. Zane, though, Zane was worse. Zane was worse. Zane was worse. Zane, I, I, he didn't even want, uh, he, he, was, he wasn't swinging well. And so he, he goes into his little toy chest and he pulls out a trumpet. And he gets into the batter's box, and this batter's box he made, he stands by the plate and he starts swinging with his trumpet. And I'm like, Papi, that's not a baseball bat, that's a trumpet. And um, I give me the trumpet. He's like, no, I want to hit this with the trumpet. I want to be a baseball player. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. That trumpet's not going to help you. No, but I want to be a baseball player. Give me the trumpet. And I took the trumpet and he just threw a fit. He started crying. What he didn't understand was that I had to take what he wanted so that he could be who he wanted. And sometimes God works that way in our lives. Some of us get frustrated with God because we're like, I don't understand God. Why can't you just make me the person who I want to be? And my answer to that is simply this God is a giver and he wants to give, but God doesn't give like a genie, he gives like a gardener. You don't rub your Bible three times.
2: Come on, Jesus. Give me a man, give me a man, give me a man. Come on, Jesus. Woo! give it. No, he's a giver, but he's not a genie. When he wants to give you something
1: in your life, he doesn't abracadabra it, he puts you through a process. You pray, and then comes the process. He's a, he's a gardener, at least that's what it says in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 2 I am the true vine, and my father is the what? The gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I don't know if you've ever seen a tree that has been pruned than a tree that has not been pruned. I didn't really understand this concept until the trip recently in uh, Texas. I was watching some rose bushes, and half of the rose bushes were beautiful in bloom, red, just just. Just you take your breath away. Half of them were dead. I was with the guy who owned the ranch. I said, hey, man, how come these are alive and these are dead? I said, did you feed these more? He said, no. I said, did these get more uh, water? He said, no. I said, did these get more sunlight? He said, no. I said, well, what did you do to these that you didn't do to those? He said, I cut these. It is counterintuitive. But when God wants to give something in your life, he often first times has to take away. God takes momentarily so that he can give eternally. That's what he
2: does. He prunes and he cuts and he pulls, but not because he's a thief and not because he wants to steal. He actually wants to give you more than you started with, but he can't do it unless he
1: first takes. That's how it works. That's how pruning works. That's how it is in the Bible. There was another story where there was this, there was this, uh, uh, this, this young boy and there was this crowd of people. It was 5,000 people. Jesus was teaching. 5,000 people had gathered. To hear Jesus, to hear, to hear Jesus, isn't that awesome? I just say that because I often hear some people in the lobby, we talk to each other, hey, I love you. What do you love most about Trinity Church? But we say, well, I love that it's, you know, it's a good size. It's not too small, but it's not too big. Can I just tell you that it was never too big for Jesus? I just want to say that. Like, just get used, enjoy this while you can. Because one day you're going to have to get here at 1045 to find a parking spot. I mean, earlier, if you get here at 1045, you're not going to have a parking spot. That's what i meant. One day you get out of the air at 9.15. Or else we're going to put you in overflow, which is going to be that room right there. We have it all planned out, guys. I'm just saying. We just miracles, talked about miracles. <laughs> we talked about expectation. We've got an expectation for Easter. And not because we're anything great. Because I think when people, because we are a church built on Jesus, when you talk about Jesus, people gather. They, they need to hear the gospel. They want to hear a story of life. And so anyway, 5,000 people gather to hear the story of Jesus. Jesus is talking to them, teaching them. And all of a sudden, the people get hungry. I guess not all of a sudden. It's going to happen eventually. And they're looking to feed these people. But nobody has food. And the disciples start complaining to Jesus. And they say, hey, Jesus, we've got 5,000 people here. You brought them here. So you need to feed them. And and Jesus looks back at them. And he says, well, you know, sometimes uh, uh, you got to do what you can do so that I can do what you can't do. And so why don't you just find some food and then I'll do the miracle. Again, that's our work part, right, from last week. And so the disciples go out and they find this one boy, this one boy who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And that's the old food in the whole 5,000 people. Like, nobody was prepared. This is a terrible plan. Whoever put this together did not forecast. Terrible plan. One boy's got five loaves of barley bread and two fish. And, uh, and the disciples approach him, and, and, and they get the food from him and give it back to Jesus. Now, here's, here's what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say that the disciples came up to him and explained the big picture. The disciples didn't even know what was going on. Just spoiler alert. Jesus is about to multiply all this food and feed 5,000 people. But the boy didn't know that. The disciples don't go up to the boy and say, Hey, listen, man. I said, I don't know if you have some food there. What is that? One, two, three, four. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Man, where'd you get that food at? And the boy was probably like,
2: My mom sent me to the grocery store, sent me to Jerusalem, Mart.
1: Jerusalem, Mart. And uh, told me to come back with food. Oh, that's great, man. Do you think I can have all the food you have? I think I'll get punished if I give you all my food. No, and let me tell you, God's going to do a miracle. It's going to be awesome. Just give it to me and I promise you'll get it right back. Are you sure? I promise. Are you sure? I promise. Okay. Yeah.
2: The Bible didn't say any of that happened. Here's what the Bible says. Verse 11. Then Jesus, not asked, Not begged. Jesus took the loaves. Now, before we get to the end, we got to put ourselves
1: in the mind of that little boy. Here is the Savior of the world. The supposed Savior. The awaited Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the one who's supposed to give life. This is the one who's supposed to make my life better. This is the one who's supposed to provide for me. This is the one who's supposed to meet every need, who's supposed to open the eyes of the blind and, and put food in the belly of people. He's taking. That's not what I thought Jesus would be. It's what that little boy has got to be thinking. But keep reading. Then Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. The same also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten enough, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be lost. There's a difference between taken and lost. Just because he took it doesn't mean it's gone. We'll get that later. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 large baskets with pieces from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign, the attesting miracle that he had done, what, that he had done, they began saying, This is without a doubt the promised prophet who has come into the world. When, when Jesus took the bread and the fish, that boy must have had so many questions. Well, has God ever taken something from us? And we've had questions after He take it. After He took it. I don't understand god. This is not what I heard about you. This is not what I learned about you This is not what they said about you when you were at that town in that person's life You blessed them and you gave them and they got money and they were able to get the house and they got the car And they got the job. But how come in this town and my how come you're taking when all i've heard is that you're a giver But wait long enough and you will see god do the miracle with the thing that he took He took it. But then after he took it, he did what he multiplied it Which is the lesson Let me ask you a question. What do you feel like God is snipping at in your life? What do you feel like God is snipping at in your life? Your finances? Your relationships? Because here's what the Bible tells me. It's the thing that he's snipping at that's about to give fruit. It's the thing that he's taking that's about to multiply. Maybe if he's trimming at your job, it's because he wants to give you a career. Maybe if he's trimming at your your boyfriend, it's because he wants to give you a husband. Maybe if he's trimming or taking away people you love, it's so that you can cherish the ones you still have left. He's always a multiplying God. His methods might not look like multiplication, but the outcome, the product, what he does in your life is give and help. Sometimes that comes through a snipping. Sometimes that comes through a pruning. But there is a bridge, and I don't want you to miss this, because the only thing that turns a taking into a gifting is this one thing. And I want to read it again. There's one thing you got to do. There's one thing you got to do to make sure that you make that transition. John chapter 6, verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them the same also with the fish as much as they wanted. What happens in between the taking and the multiplication? Thanksgiving. Are you able to be grateful in the midst of when God takes? Because it is your gratitude that unlocks the multiplication, it is your gratitude that unlocks the miracle. I've learned so much about God when I became a parent, so much about His patience, so much about His mercy, so much about His goodness. You know what upsets me the most as a parent, uh, and I know, and now I know this about God now that I am a parent, is when you spend your whole life making sure your kids live, and then you take away one cookie.
2: And it's like the end of the world. I'm like, it's one cookie. You see those shoes you have on your feet? I did that. You see that shirt you have on your back? I did that. But you took my cookie. You see those teeth you have in your mouth? I did that. The other three cookies you ate? Forget that, but I did that. And you know what I tell my kid every time he complains about the one cookie I took away?
1: Every parent is with me on this. You will never eat cookies again. <laughs> if that's how you're gonna treat cookies, well, forget that. No more cookies in this house. That's what we always do. Is that just Liz and I? Or I don't know. The thing they complain about, we threaten to take away. But when they are grateful, we end up wanting to give them more. If they would only learn that, that's the secret. Teenagers, it still works. If you would just be grateful with your parents, you would get what I'm telling you. The moment they say you can't stay out plus 10, you need to look at them and say, whatever you say, mom or dad, I understand. You have my best interest in your favor. They're going to be like, oh, shucks. (laughs) Stay out till 11 p.m. What the
2: heck? Go ahead. This is the way it is. And I know, and I know God is the same way. The moment we begin to complain about the one cookie he took,
1: Never mind giving thanks for the shirt on our back and the shoes on our feet and the pants on our legs and the air in our lungs and the fact that we can walk and talk and breathe and move. God's like, well, hey, if that's how you're going to be, then I'll take away the rest. But if you show me just a little bit of gratitude, just a little bit of gratefulness, I can show you my plan all along with this was to bless you. My plan all along with this was to multiply. And so be grateful because you know God's got the big picture, that he knows things that you don't know and that he sees things that you don't see. And so that when he takes it and you remember all things work for the good of those who love the Lord, and you know what, God, then take it. If that's the case, take it all because I know you've got my best interest in your mind. That's what I've learned And when I look at the passage in the fig tree. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 to 13. Let's go back a little bit. This is the beginning of the fig tree story. And notice some things. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. That's significant. I'll tell you why in a second. Seeing a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit on it. And when he reached it, he found nothing but what? But leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Now, you have to understand a couple of things to really understand what's going on in this passage. First off, he says it wasn't the season for figs. But all that means is that it wasn't time to harvest the figs from the tree. In other words, the tree should not have had fruit on it because it wasn't time to harvest them. That's what it means, which is not a big deal. Fine, the tree shouldn't have had fruit. But the tree also should not have had leaves because a fig tree is unique in the way That before the leaves develop in a fig tree, the fruit develops. So the fruit comes in before the leaves. That's how a fig tree works. And so what that means is that where there's leaves, there's what? So Jesus really shouldn't have been frustrated because it wasn't the season for harvesting figs. There shouldn't have been fruit on any of the trees. Now, another thing you have to understand is that Jerusalem is full of fig trees. They're everywhere. They're like... You know, weeds like that would grow for you and I. They're just everywhere. And he was walking down a path that had a ton of fig trees, but none of them had leaves. One of them had leaves, which is why he was able to notice it in the distance. He says, oh, look at that. Fig trees shouldn't have fruit right now, but I see leaves. And so he went over to the tree to see if there was fruit because a tree with leaves is supposed to have fruit. Are you with me? And here's the lesson that God is trying to tell us. Not everything that looks good is good. Shakespeare said, not everything that glitters is gold. Kanye said it too, but he took it from Shakespeare. Took it from Shakespeare. So did uh, Neil, uh, whatever that guy was. He said it too. A bunch of people said it. But they all got it from Jesus. Jesus' version was... Not every tree that has leaves has fruit. Jesus was frustrated because of the false promise that that tree made. Not everything that seems good or should be good is good. And maybe the reason why God took it is because he knew it wasn't going to put in your life what you needed it to deposit in your life. A promotion should be good. It should be good. But maybe the reason why you didn't get that promotion is because God knew something about that promotion you didn't know. Getting accepted into the college of your dreams should be good. But maybe the reason why you didn't get that acceptance letter is because God knew something about that tree that you didn't know. Being married should be good. Should be. Maybe the reason why you're still single is because God knew something about that guy that you were supposed to marry that you didn't know. Buying a home should be good, but maybe God knows something about your finances that you didn't know. Having a child should be good. All these things should be good, but maybe God knows something. Definitely God knows something and sees something. That even the good things, even a tree that has leaves, not every tree that has leaves has fruit. A fig tree is making a promise, I will satisfy you. You come here, I think that's why we get so attached to those things that we want, those quote-unquote miracles that we're asking for. Hey, if I get that, I'll get this. If I have that, I'll have this. If I make it over there, then I'll have this. There's a promise for that tree with leaves on it that we're trying to get, but God's saying, hey, don't, 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 I've I've seen it, don't, trust me, I'm going to take it from you, you don't want it. Because here's the thing, God doesn't look for promises, he looks for produce. When he was at that tree, he didn't get upset because the tree had leaves. He got upset because there was no produce. There was no fruit. God is looking for things in your life that are going to help you be who you want to be and go where you want to go. He wants to develop things inside of you. And so if he takes it, you got to trust him because he knows something about it that you didn't know. And oftentimes you don't know until it's too late. Am I right? How many of us have either gotten something or gotten someone that was supposed to be good for us that ended up being the worst for us. And we didn't find out until it was what? Until it was too late. Here's what I love about Jesus. Mark chapter 11, verse 13. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in the leaf, he went to find out. In other words, he went before you. Did you see that? The disciples were back. He said, I see it. Let me go check that out because you know what? I'd rather be the one who experiences the disappointment than them experience the disappointment. So I'm going to go ahead of them. And he did experience disappointment on that cross so that we wouldn't have to. He went ahead of us. He experienced it. He saw it. And we got to put our trust in him because not everything that looks good is good. So you got to trust in the one who knows. Who knows? One time in Genesis, there was this guy named Lot and this guy named Abraham. And Lot was Abraham's nephew. They were family. Their families were growing big. And one day they had to divide. And and, and Abraham looks at Lot and he says, Lot, you pick a direction to go and I'll pick a direction to go. But you pick first and I'll pick second. You tell me where you want to go and I'll I'll go wherever you don't want to go. And here's what the Bible says about Lot's choice. Straight from the Bible. You're going to see something in parentheses that was not my addition. The Bible adds that in there. Genesis 13.10. Lot looked around, he looked around, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well-watered. Man, that looks good. That looks good. That should be good. Water is grass. Grass is trees. Trees is fruit. Fruit is life. That should, why would God want to take that from me? Why would not God want to give me that? That's great. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well-watered, like, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. But this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, if LOL was invented, in biblical times, that would have been like the perfect insert. Like,
2: like, it looked good. There was grass, and there was trees, and there were fruit. But
1: that was before Sodom and Gomorrah, LOL. What am I trying to tell you? It might look like a garden now, but it might end up to be Sodom and Gomorrah. And in case you don't know what Sodom and Gomorrah is, it's two cities that were blown up by God, because of, the, of, the, of just the, the, the lifestyle, just the, the, the horrible things that were happening in there. What if, what if in taking from you, God was actually saving you? What if taking from you, he was actually saving you from? That's how good our God is. But you have to. To trust them. You have to trust them. Mark chapter 11, verse 20 through 22. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. What does Jesus say? Have what? Have faith in God. I was confused when I first read this. What in the world does faith have to do with a withered Fig tree. I was always taught faith is what is required to accept things and receive things from God. How many people ever heard that? Name it and claim it. In the name, I declare that promotion. I declare it. In the name, I declare six-pack. I declare it. I don't know if it works like that or not, but name it and claim it. Believe it and what? Receive it huh, yeah, sounds good, rhymes. No, it's got to be good if it rhymes. I always thought faith was the thing that was required to receive from God. And so I had trouble understanding the message that God was trying to tell us here in the scriptures. Unless, of course, it doesn't just take faith to receive from God. Unless, of course, sometimes it requires faith to let go of what God wants to take. Sometimes, I know it's like a, like a somber, bummer message today. I'm so sorry for, dang, okay, God, here, take it, fine, whatever. Living in my car for the whole rest of my life. Take whatever you want from me. I, I, I promise it's about to get good. It's about to get excited. It's about to turn around. But, but what if it takes faith to believe that, that, that and, and to, to be okay, to, to let go of the thing that God wants to take, that he has a plan takes more faith sometimes than receiving because when you're receiving you haven't even seen the thing that you're about to get but to let go of what's already in your hands that's another thing that's another thing entirely sometimes that takes more faith and i'll tell you i live that personally uh in my you guys know who have been here for a long time you know our story my wife's and I's story something that really pushed us even further to to plant the church for those who don't know the story, we'll share it. Uh, my wife and I were um, pregnant with our third child. And through the pregnancy, we found out that our, our son, we found our son was not doing well and that he was most likely gonna pass away. They couldn't find any kidneys on the sonogram for our son. And so he was supposed to die in the womb, but he made it all the way to birth. And he was born, and while he was born, or after he was born, there was hope, obviously, because we saw him; like he was there; like we he made it. We didn't know that he would make it. And what they couldn't tell us, though, was if whether or not he had kidneys, because uh, Liz's uh, you know womb had run out of amniotic fluid, which is what they use in the sonograms to be able to see to make sure your baby's okay. And so for the last two months before. Leading up to the birth, there was no way for the doctors to tell if he had kidneys or not. And so but there was, this was, there was this machine that could tell, but the machine couldn't be turned on until he came out of the womb. And they didn't even think he'd make that. And so he did make it. He got out. And uh, when he made it, um, they took him into the room. And they put me in a, another waiting room. And it was a waiting room with the curtains. And, uh, man, it was hard. Um, because you're waiting to hear, and then I had to go cut the news to Liz. You're waiting to hear whether or not your child is gonna is gonna live or not. Because if he has no kidneys and he's gonna he's gonna pass away. And so I'm waiting in the room, and it's just me. There's no one else there. The family's not allowed to come up. Uh, Liz is in the ER getting sewn up and drugs. she's out of it, and um, so I'm there and I'm just waiting, and it is. Minute, minutes, 30 minutes, hours pass by. And I want to tell you, I grew up in a very charismatic tradition of Christianity. I have been at youth camps and conferences where, you know, people are speaking in tongues and miracles are happening and people getting excited and you feel God's presence. Sometimes it will get a little crazy, people doing backflips off the walls. I don't know about all that, but... We do it backwards all the walls, get excited, just pumped up. And, and I have been in that my whole life. My whole life. Went to Haiti on a missions trip and saw God do some really supernatural things. Um, but I have never felt God's presence more than in that waiting room right there. Ever. Like all the shouting. And all the tears and all the speaking in the heavenly language and all that stuff, none of that compared to how close I felt God between those four curtains by myself. I'm trying to tell you is sometimes you learn more about God when he takes than when he gives. Sometimes the faith is built more when he takes than when he gives. And I came out of that. They said, "We have the answer. Come to you know, me." Doctor said, "What's up? What did you find?" Him? Said, He's got no kidneys. And how long do we have? He we said, "Well, as long as the breathing machine. As long as you keep him on the breathing machine." Wow. So we took him. My wife and I. We loved on him. Spent time with him. You know, it was definitely the hardest thing by by far that we've ever had to experience. And I had peace. I had peace because I knew God was with me but I was still asking questions. You know, there's a difference between peace and purpose. I had peace, but I still was trying to find out the purpose. Why God, why? I I thank you for being with me. I couldn't have gone through this without you. But why God? Why did you let this happen? And it wasn't until about a year later that I got a Facebook message. And I never, I've never shared this story word for word. This is the first time in public I've ever shared this story. This story of the... I got it from a woman named Emily Alicia. She sent me this Facebook message on, uh, on our son's birthday, which was almost close to when we launched the church. It was right before we launched Journey Church. She said, hello, and God bless guys may not remember me, but I was the woman who was about to abort her baby, my fourth child. I saw your YouTube video we you had done about what we went through, and I couldn't believe that you remembered my struggle. So we had heard that she was thinking about abortion. We just wanted to encourage her with our baby what we would have given up to keep it. I was going through deciding on whether or not I was going to keep my baby like I told you guys. I wasn't married. And I hadn't even gotten to know the father of my baby well, to even have a baby with him. I cried and cried and cried because I was struggling so badly with this decision. I had people come to me and write me their testimony about their abortion and people taking, talking to me left and right. And I just wasn't 100% convinced that I was going to have this child or not until, sad face, sad face, journey came into my life, which the name of our son. I watched faithfully on Facebook, waiting for a blog, waiting to see how Journey was doing, if he was going to make it or not. I never knew just how much Journey Joseph Vasquez was going to impact my life in such a profound manner. I cried so much when he passed away that day. For me, that day stays marked in my heart forever. Because of your journey, my baby was born. Meet Johanny. She sent me that picture. She said, meet Johanny. You two have no idea how much you mean to me and Johanny. Here we are about to enter into August and the tears flow heavily because I look back now and realize that this day coming up would never have been possible if it wasn't for you, Liz, and Baby Journey. August 18th, I gave birth to her, and I named her Johanny because it means God is merciful. Johanny Nicole Rojas, six pounds, 13 ounces, 19 inches, long, born at 1039 AM. Thank you for impacting my heart in such a way that can never be replaced. Thank you, Journey. Happy belated birthday. The church is not named after a dead baby. We named the church Journey. Some of you guys are judging your story too soon. Haven't yet realized that it don't make sense in the end.
2: Sorry, it's just—it's hard, man, to see what God did.
1: It didn't make sense then. You know, the fig tree was withered in verse eleven, but they didn't know why the fig tree was withered until verse twenty-two. Here's what Mark 11:20 20 says. In the morning, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered. And then Jesus said, have faith in God. Did you see that? In the what? In the what? In the what? It never makes sense at midnight. It never makes sense at midnight. You know when Jesus was crucified? Midnight. It never makes sense at midnight. But if
2: you could survive
1: till the morning, you would see what you couldn't see at midnight. I wonder if John the Beloved he's stared at Jesus on that cross dying and he saw a man on a tree withering before his eyes I wonder if when John saw Jesus withering on that tree if he remembered the lesson the fig tree and he told himself maybe he told Mary who was standing with him Jesus' mother hey I know don't make sense right now but I remember this thing with this tree and it was withering kind of like it's going to make sense in the morning. That is why I'm a Christian. Because Jesus died on Friday at midnight. Then came Saturday. The questions and the wondering and the purpose and the pain. But then came Sunday
2: morning but then came Sunday morning God told me to tell somebody the morning is going to come if you can just make it through the midnight He'll show you his faithfulness in the morning, so don't give up and don't let go hold on tight Keep believing keep having faith and keep trusting. I know it's dark and I know it's confusing and I know it's hard But in the morning in the morning in the morning in the morning In the morning, in the morning, it'll make sense. And you'll look back and you will thank Him for everything He took and everything He saved you from. If you can hold on till the morning and trust in Jesus, know that resurrection comes in the morning.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.